Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. Delighted to be joined today by Neil Malarkey. Hi, Neil. Hello. Hello, Simon. How are you doing? Very good. Thank you. Yourself? All right. I'm getting used to this world. All right. I'm sure we can make it better than that by the end of the podcast. <laughs> so, so, Neil, you're co-founder of the Comedy Store Players, which was in 1985, I believe it was formed. I'm afraid so well before you were born. I was, um, I'm up seven. So yeah, I was born, so I wouldn't have been attending then. But we're uh, yeah, we're regulars when we can uh, we can get to London and enjoy the Wednesday and Sunday night performances. Just watch the one that you've put on the uh, the stream. So good to get a bit of comedy back in the house and all. Yeah, luckily we we recorded some before lockdown, so lots of people are doing improv via video conference tools. But we recorded some in the comedy store with a full house, and that one that's been shown recently was recorded in October 2018. Was it? I was trying to guess actually um, when it was recorded. It seemed quite recent because Brexit was was mentioned. So um, yeah, yeah it, it, it was uh, yeah October 2018. I think at some point somebody does mention somebody you know so many years ago with that that uh, only, only the keen eared would have got that perhaps. So as well as doing all the comedy stuff with the players, you also coach, author, keynote speaker, and work with lots of internationally recognized businesses for those that maybe aren't as familiar with your work it'd be good if you could give us a kind of plotted career history yes i'll do that so i grew up watching monty python and uh, not the nine o'clock news i wanted to be a comedian and i'd heard about these comedian types who'd gone to cambridge so i wanted to be in the cambridge footlights so john cleese and peter cook and then later on david Baddiel and olivia coleman mitchell and webb so I got to be president of the Footlights and my dad said, is this what you want to do as your job? And it's, my mum's heart sank when I said, yeah, I want to be a comedian. So we went on tour in the UK, Australia, got my equity card. And I was doing a show with my ex-Cambridge Footlights chums at the Notting Hill Theatre, the Gate Theatre in Notting Hill. And Mike Myers was there, just arrived in London. Nobody knew who he was. Uh, this was well before Wayne and Austin Powers and Shrek. But we started doing a double act. He told me about improv. We started the Comedy Store Players, and if you've never seen improv, it's a bit like Whose Line Is It Anyway, but if you don't know what that is either, because I didn't, until I was in an improv show, I didn't, I'd never seen one. The audience gives suggestions and the actors act it out, and it's an amazing thing. It started actually not with uh, actors or comedians, but it started in the 1920s with a social worker, and these exercises were to help the children, maybe they were not native speakers, to give them confidence to speak up. And it was her son who, by 1959, had created Second City Theatre Company. And I'd heard of Second City because I loved the film The Blues Brothers and I knew that lots of people had come from Second City to Saturday Night Live and Ghostbusters and lots of movies, TV, etc. And Mike had come from Second City, Canada. So it was wonderful. But I didn't know that they did improv. I thought they did sketches. They do that and they also do improv. So he taught... Um, me how to do it and Paul Merton and Mike and Kit Hollerback and Dave Cohen started the Comedy Store Plays in October 85. Nobody really knew what it was. It was what? You do a show you don't have a script. So that still goes on. Hopefully it'll return after lockdown and for the last 20 years I've been teaching those skills to people in business as a way of enhancing creative and communication skills. Initially I just thought it was kind of how do we listen better because we've got to work with people with different points of view. But then I discovered that it's a leadership skill. There's all sorts of models of leadership work, which are basically you've got to improvise. You never know. You can't just tell people what to do. You've got to work with what they give you. Is that a long answer to your question? But uh, luckily I've 
I've, I've traveled to 24 countries doing this and uh, just about making it work in a virtual environment now as well. Amazing. And and just for clarity, you really do turn up to do the, the player stuff with no idea what's going to happen on the night. So it's kind of turn up, lights yes. go up. Well, you've seen the show several times. I have. And you know that each one is different. We do, we do play the same games. There's a one based on asking the audience for film styles and theatre styles, one based on the audience suggests a job and one of us is out of the room and has to come back and guess our job from the clues given and we do a musical and one where we uh, do one word at a time. But, yeah, we literally don't know what we're doing. And um, I can't imagine what it would be like if you did. We used to pretend when people who didn't believe it was really improvised. We said, oh, actually, no, it's not. You're right. There's a bloke in Swindon called Phil who sends us the script every week, and it's really quite hard work to, to learn it. But, Simon, as you know, you've seen us. You can see that look in our eyes, which is, I don't know what I just said. Why, why did you just say that? What's going on? And people say, what happens in your, you don't know what to say? And I say those are often the best bits when we literally show our nakedness. And the audience loves to see us floundering a little bit, but they really love to see us working together. And that's the key to what I teach is how do I work with you? How do she work with me? How do we make each other look good? How can we navigate uncertainty and make things work together with people of different backgrounds, different ideas? And that's the joy of improv which the skill is really how do I listen to what you're saying? How do I work with what you gave me? Because we can create something wonderful together. Yeah, I'm, the more I see it, the more I'm amazed by the skill of it. The first time you see it, it's kind of, wow, this is amazing. And then the more and more you see it, you really start to pick up on the hooks or the themes or the way you kind of hand the bat into the next person. And clearly there's, there's times when you can absolutely stitch somebody up as well if it's kind of going that way. But uh yeah, yeah, that's the game. It's a skill. If you want to stitch somebody up, you're never going to stitch them up too badly because the audience doesn't want to see that. But they do quite like it when you gently tease, like sibling rivalry. You put somebody uh, in a difficult position and then they get out of it. The audience loves them even more. So, but we always know that they can get out of it. And it's obvious yeah. that we're playing with each other. We're not trying to undermine each other. No, absolutely. And if we kind of cast our minds into the business world, very different because lots of businesses have a plan, are prepared, do lots of things in preparation for opening shops or hotels or coffee shops each day and then the corporate offices. And improving productivity, which is where we come in, requires those big process and system implementation changes. And people often fall down in that part of it, which is kind of where you come in, I think, with some of the work you do with businesses building that bridge from your comedy and improv skills into advising them how to help people in business with their people skills. Exactly. Well, also, I do point out that the comedy store players, there's lots of preparation in terms of we know who's going to be in the team. The comedy stores organise the lights, the sound, the music, the food, the drinks, the insurance. Uh, We know we're going to start at 7.30. We know we'll finish at 9.30. We know which games we're going to play. So there's quite a lot of structure. So the preparation is important, as you've also said with your organisations. The thing is that the advantage you get commercially is if you've got to be nimble enough, is you can you can build a house, you can prepare a meal, but you've got to work with what customers actually do. And the most nimble organisations are the ones who say, we've got a plan. Oh, all right, so things are changing. Consumer behaviour is changing. Technology is changing. Our people don't. You know, see that as the best way we can 
sort of um, change things as we go. And that's once how somebody described agile to me, which is a bit like improv, which is it used to be that the architect drew up the plans, the builder built the house, and then somebody came to live in the house. And of course, it's not until you live in the house, you actually know what's going to be like, where to put the mop, why you need a um, electrical point there or there. So agile, which is a started as a software thing was kind of when you get the person who's going to live in the house to talk to the builder and the architect you sort of, so you try stuff out um so it doesn't mean you have no plan but it does mean your plan is fluid in the light of changing circumstances and how the way people behave and i teach improv certainly as a people skill and i read a book called seven steps to improve your people skills which is much along the lines of what i teach sometimes which is uh when you work with people people are different people are not necessarily logical. People will do things you didn't expect. And I don't always do what you might want me to do. And how do we cope with that? You can't plan everything. But when when people are involved and they need to be treated differently from wood. (laughs) I did a workshop once for Yankee Candle. And uh, the head of sales said, you know, there's people and there's stuff. Don't get them confused. (laughs) Stuff is metal and girders and bricks and cars and people are shouldn't be treated quite the same way so i'll tell you a quick story about yankee candles then so when i used to run diy shop my manager's office was just off the shop floor and the yankee candle stand was directly the first thing as you came out the office door and turned left the first thing that you smelt so i spent four years in an office that smelt of the combination of all the different Yankee candles that you can ever imagine. So it's one of those things when you said Yankee candles, the smell just came back. Um, <laughs> well, really, the smell is powerful. They did tell me that in, in, um, for British people in uh, the Middle East, they would sell a candle, which was the smell of grass, which I thought was yeah. wonderful because we, we do need smell. Smells are quite powerful, aren't they? The smell reminds of your grandma. And clearly now, for four years, Sam, you had to put up with whatever those smells were. Fresh linen, I think, was the most popular seller. There was definitely a, like a grass one of fresh linen. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, funny how those things work. So the, those improv skills kind of help people in that reactive environment. Is that right? And thinking about how they yes, work with their so teams. I, t- and- I teach people, first of all, it may be you're, you're actually customer-facing, so customers are all different and will ask questions that weren't in the plan, perhaps. Um, on the phone, it's very easy for somebody in a contact center to sort of say, are they A, B, C, or D? And of course the client doesn't know, the customer doesn't know the script and they may, well, I just, you know, my tap's not working. My phone isn't quite working. And you've got to see where they are. You've got to see it from their point of view. Um, improv in terms sometimes of teams working together, marketing, sales, compliance, see it from their point of view, work with what they give you. Don't just say, well, this is what I want. This is my point of view. Deal with it. It's kind of, ah, right. So if I was to think about what you've got to do, if I gave you my plan a week earlier, then you could tell me if it works or is legal or whatever. Uh, If I asked you to do something, a graphic for me, then maybe it's easier if I do it Monday morning rather than Friday afternoon. And maybe, ah, yeah, you've got 12 other things to do. Uh, In terms of leadership as well, I do quite a lot of London Business School and other business schools where as a leader – you don't always know the, you don't know the answer. How do you cope as a leader with not knowing? How do you cope with people who have different sensibilities, different backgrounds? 
um, different moments in time in a project. When do we need to get down to it? When do we need to sort of open up the discussion? And as a leader, how much do you just need to, to know what people are feeling? And that's right now, I, what, is, what I do as a leader when I don't see my people? I'm doing a lot of work now where just people haven't seen each other for weeks, uh, not even in a virtual way. <laughs> They've been using audio. So I just play with them for now. We just muck about a bit. We do some improv sketches, play some one-word games. I, I, get, I, I make them go and find a hat or a cuddly toy, and we, we recognize that in this virtual moment, you're both in the meeting at work, as it were, but you're in your house and there's a cat and there's a dog and there's a partner and there's a child. And you've got to recognize those two places. And so let's celebrate it. And it's been wonderful to see people just saying, oh, great, I've seen inside your house now. Um, and I get to sort of work with you and let's play with each other. Let's talk to each other before we get down to the task. There's lots of research now that you need a bit of kind of banter or chat or socialization before you need to get to the task that's what so that's it again where the improv skills come which is listening what's what she's saying all right let's pick up let's ask her a question based on what she just said that kind of stuff certainly in, you talked about zoom meetings and what have you there'll be clues in the background i assume as well so what where people sit and what they show behind them i'm sure yes. you're very telling well it is telling or not um Sometimes you uh, you think, well, why are you sitting in front of a window and I can't see you at all? I think it's a basic thing of, do think a little bit about your background, um, have, have a thought that it, maybe it's difficult for people to see you. I have done this for a couple of months now and, and asked advice from other people. And one person said, why do you colour code your bookcases? Because I've done that and people love it. It's quite a nice thing to chat about. And my wife is so happy that my bookcases are last tidy, although they're not alphabetized or subject matter anymore, but they're just color coded. It's great fun. In fact, one person said, that's a great virtual background you've got there. That's not virtual, that's real. So there's all sorts of kind of new syntax and grammar to this virtual world of what we could do to help life for other people. For example, if it's a tricky conversation or you need a few minutes to write something down, turn off the camera. That's absolutely fine because it's really tiring, these video conferences, aren't they? Just looking at somebody and being looked at by nine, ten other pairs of eyes. uh, It's more exhausting than real life. Certainly when I train people, I have to give myself a few minutes every now and again where I send them off to breakout rooms where they try stuff out. And I can just kind of breathe in a way that um, in a workshop, normally I say, well, go and do a thing and... I'll just think, well, what one am I doing next? Um, how are they reacting to this exercise? Do we need more of a debrief? Just getting used to how tiring these calls are. Yeah, it's a different, I suppose, a different part of the brain or a different pressure that that maybe you feel because you're not used to that intensity of the meeting. There's always a, a focus point, which is the person that's got the red outline or the yellow outline of the speaker, whatever it might be. Yeah. It's interesting you talked about, because it's cropped up on another podcast we've done, that whole point of view or seeing things from their world yeah. because very often we want something from somebody or we, it's certainly in business of trying to get people to come on our journey. And as you said, they're already busy. They've already got 50,000 things to do and we're going to add another 10. So where does that sit on their priorities? So how does your kind of improv work help support that? point of view understanding their world and and i 
think I see some of it play out when we come and see the Comedy Store players, but it'd be interesting for you to kind of tell us. Yeah. Well, to go back to the, the-, the theory, the ethos of improv is you treat what the other person says as an offer. So if I say, good morning, doctor, in a scene, then you're a doctor. You don't say, I'm not a doctor. We call that a block. You say, I'm a doctor. And then we discover what kind of doctor you are. Are you the patient? Are you the nurse? You try and work with what people give you. So an offer is something somebody gives you, you can do something with. And I call it listening with intent. So I'm making a real conscious effort to use the thing you gave me to notice that I'm a doctor. Okay. And then right and i'll say well i see your legs better mr johnson and then you go oh, my leg yeah so you're always trying to make the other person look good in the scene i know earlier on we said we stitch each other up but actually that's a very subtle way of making the other person look good because then they get out of the hole and look great so we treat what the other person says as an offer so just imagine you're talking to anybody client colleague what are they saying treat them as giving you offers little gifts and we always try and think about the idea and you probably noticed on stage the idea of yes and yes i hear what you say and i'm going to build on it now we don't always say yes and but that's kind of the summary the ethos of how we are really it's just trying to support your premise to accept that's how you see the world now it may be i don't agree with you but i don't just say no you're wrong i say kind of ah right that's the way you see right so cheese is what you see there i'm seeing um I'm chalk. <laughs> um, but I don't just say, I'm seeing chalk, it's not cheese, go away. I say, ah, right. So that's how you see it. And one thing to say very simply is try and use a word that the other person has used. Stephen Covey, who wrote a book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Yeah. Good um, book. He said, we often listen to respond rather than listen to understand. And often it's really quite useful just to repeat what you think the other person said. You may not repeat all of it, or you just may repeat one word of it. And you just kind of one word shows, right, well, he's picked that up. She's heard what I've said. And in my book, which is also seven, seven steps to improve your people skills, I have a whole chapter called Listen. And I found out that since the 1950s, we've known that the pace of listening and the pace of speaking are different. So we tend to speak at 125 words a minute. And when I'm teaching presentation skills as well, which is what I do sometimes, I say slow down to 100 words a minute. But they discovered that your brain can actually process at a different rate. And your brain can process at 400 words a minute. So you're speaking 125 and my brain is is processing 275 words a minute faster. So there's a gap. We call it the listening gap. What's your brain doing with that spare capacity? It's tending to think about what you've just said, ready to respond to the first bit, ready to tell you why you're wrong, ready to to tell you why I'm better or to move it to another subject. Or your brain is thinking, did I leave the gas on? What beautiful eyes you have. Why are you wearing that funny tie? So your brain's going all over the place and you have to sort of train it and this is what we do on stage to kind of empty your brain of anything. So much so that when people say to me after an improv show, I can't remember anything. <laughs> I have to be job because I'm in the zone. So that's the listening thing is what is this person saying to me? And not, a, not only that, sometimes that they're saying isn't the words. It's the way they're saying it. It's the background. It's the assumptions. 
and you're hearing it through your own background and assumptions and filters. You're listening out for the thing you can agree with. You're listening out for the thing you can tell them off for. So real listening is an awareness of all that's going on outside and beyond the mere words. We certainly do convey a lot of meaning over and above the actual words. So again, sometimes email is better. Sometimes the chat in a virtual meeting is better because you can nail it. Sometimes there's things that are missed out that you can't quite express. So that's another reason why video conferences are so tiring because our brain is trying to work out all the body language signals that add and give more meaning to what people are trying to convey. And we can't get it really. We're two-dimensional. So, so our brain is going, oh, I want more, but I can't quite get it. So that's what I'm saying by listening. Really listen to the other person. Try and work out what it is that she perceives. What's her premise? What's, what's his way of understanding the world? Let's start there rather than mine. And let's hopefully we can come to some sort of agreement or at least see where we have a sense of agreement. What can we work on together? So you, you touched there on one of the steps from your book, which is the seven steps to improve your people skills. And we'll put a link in when we launch the podcast so people can go through and, and have a look and buy. Are there any other steps you want to share in the book? Or yes, I'll, do we have I'll to... go through them. That's very kind. Uh, I started with listen because I knew that was essential to improv. And the next one is listen and link. So it's like yes and. Link to what the other person's just said. Link to what they feel, think, and um, so those are steps three and four. Step one is learn. Like anything, people skills can be learned. And also in improv, we say, what's your character learned in this scene? What's the change? What's the alteration in her understanding? So learn, learn. You can learn from any situation. You can learn from any individual. And number two is, look, eye contact is really important. Again, it's been a bit befuddled with all those video conferences, but we do take a lot of meaning from eye contact and sometimes if people don't give good eye contact, we might interpret certain things. So learn, look, listen, link. Number five is let. Let the other person have a different point of view. Let them speak. You know, Don't interrupt them. Then lighten. This is, I've got two meanings. This, is how much do we lighten the atmosphere at work? How much is their laughter going on? How much do we smile? Do we ever think as a leader, how much is my team really laughing? <laughs> Maybe they're having their five a day or their 10,000 steps or whatever for their well-being but laughter enhances creativity laughter enhances employee engagement laughter enhances resilience and uh, also lighten as well by the way now we're spending hours in front of our laptops and sitting is the new smoking they're saying so lighten your posture get up move about and the last one is uh, leave well there's lots of research that says the last bit of something is the one we remember the most and could colour our judgment of the whole thing. So I'm sure we've all seen a movie where the last scene or read a book where the last bit or a film, uh, TV series, where the last bit doesn't quite work or disappoints and that colours our whole view. So just beware, at the end of a meeting, you all kind of saunter off slightly disgruntled. Um, the end of a conversation, does it, yeah, quite nice. Yeah. Or the end of networking, how do you really look the person in the eye and say thank you? How do you leave it? Make sure you leave well, because there is research that the, the leaving the end of a meeting can really have an impact on how people remember it and what they do as a result of it. I love those. There's two bits for me in, in what you just said. The first bit of the yes and 
in business, I think there's lots of yes, but, which kind of completely seems to undermine what's gone before. Yeah. And there's just something about the word, but we hear it differently because it says, all right, whatever I said, the thing that after the but is what really matters. It doesn't mean you can't say yes, but in a respectful way. Uh, Yes, and tends to be easier to build. Uh, People get a bit hung up on the words. You know, you, you won't always say yes, and, but the intent is I have heard you and I'm going to respect your opinion even if I disagree, but I will show why I might disagree or I won't hold it against you that you don't see the world the way I do. And in fact, improv is all about that diversity. Difference of opinion is creative because actually if we combine this idea and that idea, oh, there's a third strong idea that brings us both on board. And the the ending part's really interesting because there's been a big sway in television towards these mini-series. So Netflix, BBC, ITV are going down these, these routes of mini-series, six, seven, eight parts, and they all have a particular theme of you'll spend, I don't know, seven hours watching the seven parts, and it all comes together in the last five minutes. <laughs> and you kind of sit there at the end thinking, oh, I've invested seven hours of time and it got, it was really good. And I, there was all these different things going on and different characters and my brain was trying to work it out. And actually they just wrapped it up in the last five minutes, which it always leaves me personally on that disappointment edge of, Oh, well, yes. we could have done, we could have done that a lot earlier. Cause it's, yes. if it was that complex, <laughs> how did we, how did we solve it all in five minutes? Well, I, I agree with you. I know there are certain TV series that have disappointed people. It's, it's hard when you set out a thread of, is that the baddie? Is she a goodie? Why did they do that? Who was that person? It's quite hard to tie it up. And uh, I think there are examples when it has been done well. But, um, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. When the end doesn't quite match the journey, there is a sense of disappointment, isn't there? And so that's important. I mean, not least in presentations. That end on something where you're repeating your message or you're coming to a climax uh, so many times I've seen presentations where, yeah, thanks so much. Okay. Uh, no more questions. And it's really weak. The, the ending is a great opportunity to remind people and leave them on a high. If you ever watch a band, their end is often their best song. A comedian often does their best joke at the end or their best joke at the beginning and their second best joke at the end. So just people don't often think about how they end a meeting. And a good tip, by the way, that I've, borrowed in my book was how do you end a meeting well quite good to end it five minutes early with a roundup of who's done a good thing who's kind of who's actually made some concessions we appreciate that who's found it hard and who's taken on some actions that could feel a bit onerous but kind of drawing the threads together a good facilitator is thinking about endings not just beginnings i like that so talking of changing and evolving and difficult times organizations in the world are having to adapt at the moment and there's there's always change but i think it's at a pace that we've not necessarily seen before in in certainly in my lifetime so from your business lots of the the comedy work is is live and you you want a live audience there's that energy and connection which is which is always special what things have you started to change in any hints and tips you want to share from your experience of of, um, doing things differently Well, my world fell apart in the middle of March. Nearly everything that I do requires quite a lot of people to be all together. The comedy store, 400 people laughing together. Can't do that for a while. 
workshops, 20 people, 12 people, 50 people, keynote speaker, conference stuff, all fell away. So I was pretty downcast. But I adopted my own yes and ethos. And I said, well, what can I do? And I talked to lots of people. And people, if you ask for advice, just love to share it. And people said, well, virtual training, virtual conference, these have been going on for a while. So there's a whole new grammar to learn here. And I realized I could still be myself. I could bring energy and I could bring humor to this virtual world. Just got to realize that it's more tiring. But you've got to bring something a little bit different to it. Think of, I'm, I'm thinking of it like a breakfast DJ energy. The breakfast DJ doesn't see his audience. She, she doesn't know that they're out there but still plays to the, the bigger audience and, and that comes across through the radio. You can do that in a virtual sense. Um, just being aware of things like acknowledging, and there's a funny picture behind you, Simon. What's going on? Uh, what, why, have you, why have you put yourself in that funny place? Well, I'm in the, in the basement today because my kids have got the living room or whatever. Just acknowledging you have a funny background or not. There's lots you can still do. And discovering breakout rooms was a great thing for me, for example, are when doing virtual training, uh, the chat function, for example, the yes and there is, if you ask a workshop of 12 people, what do you think? You've got to wait for 12 responses. Or it may well be that seven of them don't want to say much uh, or anything. But with chat, you can say, what do you think? And you can get 12 responses straight away. What do you think? On a scale of one to five, do you agree, disagree, one to five? Now put some reasons why I agree. So people will, might respond in ways that actually are more productive in the chat or the breakout rooms. Uh, so that's my yes and. People are asking me both to do what I do anyway, so conferences, keynotes, workshops, one-on-one coaching in the virtual environment, uh, but also to help them prep for their virtual conferences, to um, give them a bit of coaching. And don't just read out some words. Don't just read out your essay. Have that energy. Think about your audience. Give them something to think about every couple of minutes. Maybe they've got to respond. They've got to do something in the chat. Or maybe you throw in a, a slide that makes them ponder in a different way. You can't just do a four-hour call. <laughs> you, can't, you can't even think 20 minutes, I'll just read out stuff. You've got to think of changes of dynamic. Give an example. Do a story. Throw in a killer fact. Uh, so these are the yes ands for me. But on the other hand, I can't wait to be back in front of an audience. And I just, there's going to be such a roar when we do it, because I think we do need that. I've watched some theatre from the Globe, Shakespeare's Globe, and the National Theatre. It's fantastic, but it's really made me think the theatre world, also hospitality. We're, these are the ones that are going to suffer, um, and we've got to do something to help them. Theatre, get out to the theatre as soon as you can. Get out to the theatre. I'm going to go to the theatre more often. Uh, but I'm going to be more thankful for the fact that I do have a job that brings people together in those environments. And I hope that we can safely do that soon. I echo those sentiments. Yeah, I've watched some of the National Theatre stuff and it's amazing, but there is something magical about live performance and, and being there in the room. It's that electricity in the atmosphere. So yeah, I echo those sentiments to everybody to, to get back out there. Yeah. It's been it's been a great chat, Neil. I really appreciate you coming on. Final question, which we're asking everybody on the podcast is, what's the best bit of business advice you've ever been given? Well, when I was thinking about doing what I do now, I was at a transition in my life. I was a comedian, actor, doing bits and bobs, theatre, telly. 
adverts, voiceovers, but I knew I wanted to do more. My degree was in economics and social science. So again, I did what I often do, which is just say to people, this is what I'm thinking of doing. I think you can get involved in leadership development, management training. And people say, well, you must talk to this guy. And so this guy took me out to lunch for a very posh restaurant. And he ran a small consulting firm. And he said, be yourself. You bring something to the party that nobody else does. Because there were actors doing management training. There might have been a few improvisers. But nobody does it in my way. Nobody had done a degree in economics and done A-levels in physics, chemistry, maths. And I realized, you know, that I could throw in a bit of quantum physics here. Nobody's got the experience I have of being in this place, being with that team, doing this or that. So the best advice was be yourself. Find what it is that's unique to you that you can bring to the party and celebrate it. Amazing. I love that. We've um, had some great advice on different podcasts, but yeah, that's that's a brilliant one. And even if you've not found yourself now, there's there's always time, isn't there? So never never stop searching for who you want to be, I think. Is, I still uh, haven't found what I'm looking for, as Bono said. But uh, yeah. I'm still learning, and I'm learning now from my children, that they have great insights into things. And I try to learn from everybody, because uh, with that sort of humble curiosity, I think we will we will win through. Brilliant. So if people want to find out more about you, Neil, where's the best place for them to look? Well, neilmalarkey.com. I don't know if you want to spell that, uh, or comedystoreplayers.com. To see the Comedy Store Players, you can find a link as well. But neilmalarkey.com. I've got, I've got two sides of myself, the laugh and the learn. Uh, and I try and combine them every day, really. How can I help people learn through laughter? We'll put links to both those websites when the podcast goes out, which is amazing. Uh, on a final note, anybody who's listening, when the Comedy Store players are, are back on Wednesday and Sunday nights at uh, the Comedy Store in Leicester Square, if you've never seen live improv, it will be an amazing night and, and blow your mind at the same time. So I would encourage anybody to go. Neil, it's been an absolute pleasure as always to speak to you. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you so much, Simon.